Welcome to Artists of New England. This is a podcast created to inspire you on your journey of artistic expression. Whether you are a career artist, a teacher, an emerging artist, or hobbyist, you can learn and gain support from your peers. We will explore the symbiotic relationship between these groups, lending insight and empathy towards each other. We will discover the where, when, why, and how of the creative process of artists living and working in New England, with occasional bonus interviews with gallery owners, collectors of fine art, and art historians. Perhaps today's show will bring you the aha moment you've been waiting for. Welcome to Artists of New England with your host, Laura Cassinari-King. Today, I'm delighted to have Mary Byram from Maine. Welcome, Mary. Thank you, Laura. Glad to be here. Hard to catch you. You're just always out. <laughs> yeah. no, it's, okay, so that, that's, a big, that's a really big deal that I'm always out. Okay? Yes. And, it, and it's hard to catch me because you wouldn't believe this, but I actually used to be an abstract painter and I painted only in the studio. Yeah, I know. And I saw on your website how plein air painting changed everything and that's I want to get to that but let's first start quickly with a quick brief um, where did you grow up and what are your earliest explorations that you remember with art okay so I was really lucky I grew up in a small college town in western Massachusetts in Northampton Massachusetts and there was piles of culture there and it was picked my parents picked it in order to raise children there oh and, nice yeah it's really nice and my mother was from that area so she knew it well yeah and as a result, I was exposed to a lot of culture, both um, museums and, you know, orchestra music, I mean, everything, because it was there. Nice. And, and so I saw a lot of, I, I was exposed to a lot of that. And my mother was very, very good at painting, uh, but she could not afford to become an artist, so she became a career woman. So mm. she, was off, she was like one of the first early people that had like a career, single woman with a career. And right. she really wanted to paint. And she had some paintings that she had done because she had gone to high school in Washington, D.C., and she had had excellent art instruction. Uh -huh. So she had portraits and things she had done, and so she was always really into it. So she, when I was six, I received my first oil set. <gasps> wow. I know. I know. Oh. And I think I must have because I obviously was, I always did, I always worked with all kinds of art materials. I always made something. Um, plus my parents... Um, did not believe that television was a good thing. So there was no television ever allowed in the house. Nice. So I grew up without a television. So if you had a spare time, you did something. Yep. And so I started painting with oils when I was six. And I think that's because my older sister at eight was old enough to have oils. So she got them for both of us. Ah. And I hated the smell. Oh, really? I hated the smell of the oil paints and I hated the smell of turpentine. Yeah. So I, I did it for a while, but I disliked the smell so much that I did not continue with oil paints because they smelled so bad. Okay. It's so funny. Yeah. Um, but, but again, at the same time, I was still doing all kinds of other mediums. So I, I painted in all kinds of other things and I drew, I drew all the time. So the biggest thing, the biggest takeaway is I drew from life and didn't know that was the way it was supposed to be done. But we would <laughs> sit around, the activity was, we would actually sit around talking. And while we were talking, we would draw from life what was around us. And now your mom, too, would be the... In no, no, this is just the kids. The kids, the kids would just hang out. Okay. The kids would hang out talking, you know, like after school or just hanging out talking. But we always have something to draw on. And so we'd be, like, drawing pictures from life. We're drawing things from life the whole time you're we talking. So my neighbors raised Morgan horses. Oh. So I would look at them, and I'd be just drawing... I would do horses. Like, I got to know horse anatomy really well. And I'm, like, a little kid. Sure. 
You know, I'm just drawing horses. My sister liked people, so she was drawing people. Nice. And I remember seeing all these stuff, but I remember drawing horses all the time, all the time, all the time. And I didn't think it was anything that was particularly unusual until I was a classmate asked me one day to draw a horse in school. Yeah. And I drew a horse for her and she went crazy. She was, she was, she was horse crazy. And she was like, oh, I can't believe I can draw a horse. You know, you know, so I would draw horses for her. I remember drawing horses for her. It's like, <laughs> I didn't think too much about it. And I did. Your first collector. Yeah, exactly. But I, my, my biggest disappointment was kindergarten when I did, when I sculpted. So I was also sculpting. So in kindergarten, I was sculpting and I sculpted a really, really good dinosaur. I mean, a fabulous dinosaur. Yeah. And I sculpted, yeah, and, I, and I did another painting and the teacher put the wrong names on the pieces. Oh. So some boy got the credit for like my pieces and I was like stuck on his ugly pieces, which were horrible. And, and, and I went like, I can't believe this. I said to my mother, I can't believe this. You have to have her change the names. She says, don't worry, don't worry. She said, she's too busy right now. You know you did them, don't worry. You know? so, so that was the end of that. Yeah. yeah. So, so basically um, I kept on, so sculpture was really big. Yeah. Okay, I really, I had a bit, big influence at the age of 10 when I went to Rhode Island to uh, the whaling museum. Yeah. Had a huge impact on me because I saw the figure, all the figureheads on the ships Oh. And I immediately wanted to sculpt all of the figureheads. So I turned to my mother and I said, I, I know exactly what I'm going to do when I grow up. And she said, what? I said, I'm going to make those. I said, I'm going to make, I'm going to make hundreds of those for all the, sh for all the ships. And you were 10. <laughs> and she went, she went, I was 10. I said, I'm going to do that. I, I mean, it was, I was completely taken with them. I thought, I thought this, I thought they were just like amazing, you know, and, and they're very interesting. They're like, you know, they're, some of them are grotesque, some of them are beautiful, some of them are realistic, some of them are not so realistic. It depended on the artist who sculpted them. But I was going to be a sculptor, and I totally decided I was going to be a sculptor. Mm -hmm. and, and that was at 10. At 10. And so, <laughs> so I did So think, then along comes, you know, other schooling, and, I'm, and, and I was very good at a lot of things. Mm -hmm. so, so basically, I was distracted from art because I was very good at a lot of things, and also art was not taken seriously. Okay. You know? Not, not like a big, oh, go ahead, be an artist, because they didn't know a lot of really good artists, except maybe Leonard Baskin. Okay, my sister babysat for Leonard Baskin. So uh -huh. we knew one artist who was like really accomplished and, you know, famous and that kind of a thing. So that was probably the biggest, closest contact I had with somebody who was successful at it. But because, you know, he's like one out of like many, many people, it's like, yeah, that was not encouraged. Like, don't do that, you'll probably be poor. Right. Don't do that. Don't do that. So, so it, so I did it all the time, but I did it undercover. Okay. Gotcha. But I never stopped drawing. Yeah. Okay. So drawing was a habit. I always, always was drawing. Yeah. And that's just, that was just a habit. Like people, you know, you hang out and talk to people and you draw. So <laughs> drawing was part of, it's really interesting how drawing. So I was always very visual and I also did a lot of other visual things. And, you know, I did a lot, I always made stuff. Mm. Making stuff. So then I started to research things and I was like, okay, what's printmaking? Let me research that. So I, I want to learn, I would learn, want to learn how to do things. So as a senior in high school, uh, because I had uh, finished all of my credits early, um, I was able to do an independent study in art. Oh, so, nice. Yeah. So my independent study was, um, I researched batik, Indonesian batik, and I, um, learned how to do batiks and I, um, translated books I read I was learning out of German books oh. so I was I was lucky enough to be studying German I was studying 
a number of languages then. So I studied, I studied German, so I was reading the books in German and translating how to do it, and then I was doing it, and that was my project, my senior project when I was in high school. Wow. And yeah, and it was great, and I learned how to do boutique, so I did, I did a lot of textile stuff. So then when I hit college, um, it was, you know, I did not go to art school because it was like, don't go to art school, you know, <laughs> don't go to art school. It's like, oh, it's ridiculous. So, so I could have gone to art school, except, except I probably wouldn't have learned anything there because then it was just completely abstraction. So I, I ended up going to a number of different schools and I ended up ending, I ended up having to do a double major of botany and art in order to have the drawing continue. <laughs> so, and I had, so I had an independent major. Um, which was interesting. I went through the, I, went, I ended up going to the University of Massachusetts with an independent major of botany and art. And then I could spend all my time in the greenhouses drawing flowers. And again, I'm back to drawing again. Right. Drawing, <laughs> drawing, drawing, drawing. So, and so, and so then, so then what happened was I had a class in service design at that time, which was one, an extra class I could take. And my professor said, you were really, really good at this. You probably should consider going into service design and you should consider it seriously. So I just was like, oh, well, you know, I didn't take it seriously because my botany was, the botany was really demanding and the botany teachers, I was getting awards in botany, in the botany department already. Wow. So I was getting awards for photo photographs I was taking of microscopic bot botanicals wow. and I was getting published in journals mm. uh, because the work I was doing was so unusual, but it was, I was just sort of following what I was interested in. Mm -hmm. And I had some really great advisors. I had some really great professors, but I really was, I couldn't stay away from the art. And I had a, I had two professors who would invite me to their studios and I would go by their studios and I would critique their paintings. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm serious. I would walk in and go, so why are you doing, why are you doing that? Why are you doing that way, that way? And they'd ask me, then they'd say, I'd say, well, cause I think if you did, this, I mean, honestly, I, and I was just like telling them what I, it looks like this to me, right? So they'd have me come by. And I would like, you know, tell them what I thought they should do with their paintings. I love it. And they would invite me in. Yeah, yeah. They, thought yeah. they thought it was great. And I had no idea that, you know, just I was giving them, I was giving them a fresh eye, which is like show your painting to like, show your painting to the mailman. You probably get some good, some good feedback. You know, show your painting to a kid. Kid's gonna tell you what's going on, right? Well, so I knew they appreciated and knew that you had an eye, or they wouldn't. They knew I had some. They knew I had an eye obviously and I was just asking questions and like you know just being myself and then my design professor said you know I, I think I'd like you to be an assistant you know I, I'd like you to be a teaching assistant because I was I was moving through the design I mean I really liked it and I really was I was becoming quite experienced I was proficient at it I was you know I was I knew how to do it so I was teaching people how to stretch screens and stretch canvases and I'm doing all kinds of how to put stencils on things silk screens and all that stuff and and I really liked it and then I had a show and it was very popular. People, all these professors wanted to buy my prints. Yeah, and that was really interesting. I was like, oh, this is really interesting. And then, so then meanwhile, one of my, one of my schoolmates who is from, was from Eastern Massachusetts said, listen, let's just jump in. Like, like, like she said, let's just jump in. She was, a, she was, and she was taking design courses and she said, I'm going to be designing a whole line of jewelry and why don't you, and I'm going to be selling it in a shop on the vineyard. Why don't we just like pack this thing up and go to the vineyard and do stuff? So you do screen prints. Uh, so I was doing screen prints on aprons and dresses and all kinds of bags, canvas bags, all kinds of stuff. And she was down in the vineyard designing jewelry and selling jewelry and selling my stuff. And that was the first year. I started the first year and I'm still in school. And that's the first well, year. Okay. What were the designs you were putting on? Uh, they were all 
botanicals. Botanicals, okay. I'm, sketching, I'm, I'm drawing flowers. So yeah. I did all flowers. I did all kinds of, and they were like very much like botanicals. They weren't like, they weren't like lovely flowery things. They were sort of like interesting, you know, shapes. And sometimes I would just do silhouettes of flowers on things. Yeah. And so I'm just printing this stuff and, and it took off. And then she said, oh, I think this is really good. I think, I think we need to open another shop in another location. And I wasn't even down there. I was like, <laughs> I, was, I was far away from the ocean. I was in Western Massachusetts and she's down there doing all this stuff. She'd say, ship me some, send me some more, send me some more. And, and you know, when you're, when, you're, when you're a kid and you're that young, it's like, okay, all right, let me just do it. And you work all the time, you know, you just yeah. do it. Yeah. So, but that, so that was really nice. And then, and so then the following year I had a shop on the vineyard and I was so busy producing this stuff and hiring people and doing things that I couldn't um, be down on the vineyard, except I think I went down for three or four days. And I rented a house there for the whole season. And I let all my, all the people who worked for me live there. <laughs> and then I, no, seriously, I really, I had this little, this little business going. And um, I, you know, I hired my sisters, I hired my friends, I hired all kinds of people to do stuff. And, um, and it went really well. It went, it went like really well. Wow. And so I was doing, so at that, that point, at that point, so I also, at the, also I, one of the skills I had acquired along the way is I knew how to draft and design clothing. Okay. So I put out a line of clothing. Wow. And, and, I, and I did the fabrics for it. I designed the fabrics for it. And then at that point, I was no longer printing. Then I was doing a combination of batik, which I had done in high school. Okay. okay batik and um, hand-painted textiles. And then I was putting together stuff and just putting them down there. And then people started to come, people started to come in the store and ask for outfits and ask for matching stuff and ask for, yeah. So I was like, Oh, gee, I can't keep up with this. And then, and then you know, it was like nuts. And then it was like outfits. Oh no, I have to do outfits. You know, I was, I was just putting out like one item at a time, you know, wow. a, a skirt or a jacket or whatever. And so people started to request things because they liked my stuff so much. Nobody else had anything like it. And so these people had a lot of money and, and these are, these things were expensive. Okay. So I did not, I, I charged, I, I looked at the prices of really of high-end stores and I charged high-end prices, um, really high-end prices. It's a and lot of work, I would think. It was a lot of work, but I, I just really, want, I really wanted to make sure I fit into a certain strata in the market. Okay. So I had done my research and I, I went to that very high-end customer and then I uh, produced it. And so then I, it was so successful that I said, okay, that's enough. And then I got orders from a store in Long Island and it got, they started asking me for my, for my resort collection. Oh, God. So there I am. This is really bad. So I don't even have a resort collection. What do you mean resort collection? Like the, it, You needed the line. The line needed to start there. I needed to like, I needed to like then go into production. I needed to start a whole company. Yeah. And you know, I'm doing, this, I'm doing this little tiny thing and nobody knows what it is. So I mean, so people are buying my stuff like on Long Island. And then I didn't even have stuff ready. I didn't even have stuff for the ready for the store so people would go on vacation so they would send a driver a chauffeur in a limo up to western massachusetts from long island to pick up their dresses oh my yeah this is and, I, and i'm like 25 at this point and going this is a little nuts so so okay so, so it's really you know it's really and i'm doing a lot i'm still i'm working i'm doing, I'm doing all kinds of stuff right yeah. so at this point i go i really need to take a break so I just stopped doing it completely. Okay. I absolutely stop it. And um, I don't do any more textiles. I don't do any more clothing. I just stop. I said, this is taking, this is getting crazy. This is going to get, this is going to get too crazy. It's because the business had grown so fast. And this, and this is a problem. If your business grows too fast and you can't keep up with it, 
um, your business outpaces what you're capable of doing. Right. It, it grew really fast. So then I took a break and then I went, I did, I did costume design. I did, I did costume design in New York. And um, I really, um, that was, that was really interesting. That was great. Um, that was like dealing with all kinds of people. And then I started to um, get offers to work in different places in New York. Um, and at this point I was going back and forth. At this point I had moved to Vermont. I was going back and forth from Vermont to down to New York and doing projects down there and staying with a friend. And then I'm out of New York and then I'm like, Oh, what, how, what can I do next? And then I got hit by a car. Oh, and then it stops everything. Wow. Yeah. Then I got by a car in Vermont and when I was on one of my breaks before I was ready to go on tour with a company. And at this time, I'm designing clothing. I'm designing textiles and clothing for dance companies. Okay. And, and so um, that's that was the whole area I was moving into. And and so this was like a this was down a notch from having to do retail and wholesale, which was like a real production thing. So then, okay. So then I go, okay, all right. I gotta I gotta cool it. So I I, I had to like I couldn't go. I couldn't do anything. And I had to like recuperate for like a year. Mm. And so then I found myself in Vermont and that's like not the greatest of places to be. So I said, okay, I've got to get out of Vermont. So I head to the seacoast. I said, <laughs> I got to get close to Boston. So I head to the seacoast and I apply for a bunch of jobs um, doing costume design for theaters. And I get a lot of interest um, and people offering me jobs and they all seem to be on the seacoast of Maine and New Hampshire and Boston. And I went, Oh, this is interesting. I went to a, I went to a special job fair at one of the colleges in Boston. And, uh, I went, oh, do I really want to do this? And so I, well, anyway, I ended up coming down here to this area. Okay. And I ended up the seacoast, and which I really liked. And I initially wanted to come here anyway, because as a child, when my parents, when we went up to Maine on vacation, we would go up to South Harpswell, we'd stop in a gunkwit. Oh. Nice. Because it was like, that was like three hours or three, that was like three hours, three and a half hours to three hours. And the, the kids could get out and, you know, go. And so we had stopped. And I remember, I remember the gunkwit being so beautiful. And I said, well, that wouldn't be bad because I'd be close to Boston. So I could work in Boston and I could commute down and I could be in Maine. So I came to the coast and I got established here. I got, I got, I started up here and then I had, I had a show. Um, I had, I had, I met, I, I knew a bunch of people here. I met a bunch of people here on um, summer vacations when I was in a gunpoint over the, over the years, I knew them and they were all at the button factory. Mm. And and they were all, and the interesting thing was it all started because I was looking for a pair of earrings and they were made, they were made by somebody named Thomas Mann and Thomas Mann was, and I saw him at an American craft show and, and they didn't have them. They'd run out of them and I wanted to get them. So I found out he had a studio at the button factory in Portsmouth. And so I sent a note and said, Hey, you guys, can I come by the studio and pick up some earrings? I'd like to buy a pair of earrings. And I met all the assistants and all the girls that worked with him and they were fabulous. And they were like, you got to come live here. You have, this is the place to come live. And no, they were really funny. They were great. You have to come live here. They said, you have to come down and get a studio at the Button Factory. You have to come down here. And I was living in Burlington, Vermont at that, at that point, because this was after my accident and I got stuck up there. Okay. So I was like, wow, that's not bad. That's, that's a good idea. So I came down to the Seacoast wow. on their encouragement that it was a place to come. They said, you've got to come here. It's great. It's a wonderful place to be. Mm-hmm. And this was really before the Seacoast really got heavily, um, heavily uh, populated. Yeah. I mean, there was still, there was like a punk rock club um, in downtown. In downtown, there was a gas station right near the, where, the, where the new parking garage is. Yeah. There, was, there was a punk rock club there. <clears throat> you know. <laughs> yeah. It's not, 
it's now a little parking lot, but there was like, I mean, it was a bit, it was raw. It was, it was rough. It was still, it was still rough. I mean, um, uh, not Congress Street, but the, uh, the next street over next to Prescott Park um, was like, there were bars there that were dangerous. State Street? State Street, yes, yeah, State Street. There were bars there that were like dangerous. Oh yeah, you know, I know. I, I grew up coming up to the seacoast to Rye because my grandmother lived there and my grandfather worked at the shipyard for 40 plus years. <laughs> so yeah. I've you heard know, stories. <laughs> I mean, it was like, whoa, they're, they were like, they're scary. Um, and so, so it's still pretty raw. So it was, it, was, it was nice coming here that early. Yeah. It was nice getting here that early. Um, and I had a friend um, who was opening a gallery. She and her husband were opening a gallery and um, Angela Papuzzi and Peter Lachtefeld. And they were opening a gallery right in town. And they were doing a really, really nice gallery. It was called the Portsmouth Collection. And they had beautiful things there. But she um, said to me, I think, you know, I think you should have a show. So I, I did a whole, I did a show there of cast paper. Um, I was doing a lot of, back to the sculpture, I was doing cast paper and dyeing the paper and, and all, all kinds of stuff and, and embellishing it and making wall hangings, wall pieces, wall relief, 3D wall relief pieces out of it. Wow. And I had a successful show. And it, I went, oh my gosh, this is a really good place to be. Yeah. And it was like, boom, it just took off just like that. So I said, okay, I'm, this is totally different from being back in the country. And so did you get a studio at the button factory? I guess I did eventually. Uh, um, at that point, I didn't. At that point, I was renting a house um, with a roommate on Badger's Island, and I had a studio in the house. But okay. later, later on, I, I actually had a studio in the button factory on the ground floor that I shared with Peter Lochtefeld. Mm -hmm. And um, so I was there at one point eventually, yes. Okay. Get there, which is really interesting. So, so, so that, so that like sort of took off and I went, oh, this is really good. So then, this is really interesting. So then at this point I have friends at the button factory and one of my friends, Bill Stelzer, had a huge impact on my, the direction of what I chose to do. He looked at my paintings. Okay. He looked, he looked at my paintings on silk, he looked at my paintings <clears throat> that I was doing. Oh, and I also put painted silk, um, scarves in Angela's gallery as well. Okay. And they sold. Okay. Um, so there was a good response to this stuff and he saw what I was doing on silk and he said to me, Mary, I really think you should like stop this fi this fabric thing. He said, I think I said, I really said, I really think that you should paint on, take the stuff you're doing on silk and just put it on canvas mm. and stretch it and put it on a wall. And he said, you're going to get a lot more money for what you're doing if it's on a wall as a painting than if it's on a piece of silk as a, as something to do as an, as apparel, as, you know, as, as an accessory. Right. Okay. And I said to him, okay, that's a, that's, a, that's a pretty good idea. And he, he was like, I mean, he's a really sharp guy. He was a really sharp guy. So he mm -hmm. said, you know, it's, you're getting more money for your time. It's going to be, it's going to be much more profitable for you to, to do that. So I said, okay, fine. And so I switched to, and I, and I painted in high school. I painted off and on all these years in Vermont. I painted, but I was, I always painted indoors. And I was an abstract painter. Okay. And did you use oils or we, did you still have that aversion? Nope, I used everything. Okay. I used I used I used mostly mostly oils, oils and acrylics, but I think yeah, mostly oils and acrylics, both. Equally, equally. I was using both of them. No, I know the, the smell didn't bother me anymore when I was an adult. Okay. Okay, as a kid it really bothered me, but as an adult it didn't bother me. And so I painted a lot in oils and a, and, and I'd say half and half oils and oils and acrylics. And I painted really, really big, big paintings. Yeah. Not big things. And so, 
so I would so I would sell one every now and then. And were these were these still botanicals? Nope. These are like I'm going completely abstract now. So what, yeah. How did that transition happen? Well, it probably happened because when I was in college, I was I would be doing a lot of line drawings, a lot of line drawings with color. Okay, let me explain something about color. I have an incredibly really solid background in color because I had to spend so much time layering colors and mixing colors visually on silk. Okay. Yeah. So I, I really know how to, I really know how to work with color and I didn't realize this, my skill set with color until I moved back into paint and it was like, Oh, we need this color. I could just mix it. Huh. I mean, like I can mix, I can mix any color. Okay. I would know how to do it or I, I'd know what I, I know if something wasn't working. I know why it wasn't working. I, mean, I could tell if the pigment was wrong. I could tell all kinds of things okay. and it's because I, did, I work with dyes. So I transitioned. Okay. So I had the, um, I had the college in college. I was one of my art professors, my, one of my paint, my painting professor really kept, kept telling me how much he liked a particular series I was working on, which had to do with um, tension and shapes of line. It was shapes, simple shapes and lines, okay. shapes and lines and big, big shapes. We had smaller shapes and lines and all types of arrangements of shapes and lines, which again is like, you know, weight, value, balance, you know, all kinds of things, uh, flow. There's a whole bunch of stuff. These are, these are the fundamentals of all painting. And I was doing this. And so I took that and literally moved that okay. to the canvas. Wow. So I, so I had, and, and remember, I have these huge amounts of like, stacks of journals of sketches for me sketching every day right you know you know 20 years or whatever i mean i mean this is i mean i have stacks and stacks of books of sketches yeah so i just go back and look at them and say oh this might be really good i'll try this so and I, have, I have like reference material that's you know i just have reference material right mm -hmm. so the drawing is the drawing is the bottom line here it's so much of that so then i go into the color stuff and so i put it on canvas and and Bill just loves it. He just loves it. And he wants to buy, <laughs> he wants to buy some. And I'm just like starting to do it. So I said, okay, I'll, so I do a trade with him. So I just, I'll do a trade with you. So he built some stuff for me. And he got, and he has this, he has the first series I did. So he owned the first series that I did. All right. So then I'm just like really trying stuff and trying stuff. And, oh, and then meanwhile, there's another thing that happened right after my, Portsmouth show with Angela, I got hit by a car. Wait a minute. Yes. Lightning doesn't hit twice, does it? Yeah, it does. Oh my gosh. I got hit by a car. I got hit by a car. Um, and this time it was really bad. Oh. Yeah. So I got hit by a car and uh, I was waiting, I was waiting on the side of the side of a crosswalk in Portsmouth across the street, and a guy took a sharp turn and just like mowed me down. Jeez. Yeah, so serious. So I ended up at Mass General for about a month. And they had to put me back together again. My leg was really damaged. Nothing else was too bad. Um, but my bones had been knocked hollow, so I had to have bone grafts in all my bones. Oh. They'd been crushed. So so I had to come so I came back from that and I was like really um I was like I was like I was a mess. I so I had to I I became completely disabled, basically, and I was disabled for like ten years. Wow. Yeah, so I couldn't stand and paint. So I lost this yeah. whole all this time to paint. Yeah. I lost all the time to do stuff. And this interrupted the flow that was happening yes. um, previous. Okay, so there I am. I'm like, oh my gosh, 
you know, I just started to do paintings. I, get, I just got some stuff done. It looks really good. And then all of a sudden I can't do anything. So I, so I, I, I start to think, what can I do sitting down? So I'm in physical therapy, like sometimes eight hours some days, because it was ridiculous. Mm. I had, all my hands went and then my, I mean, all kinds of, I was on crutches for a year. So that knocked my hands off, you know, I mean, just been on and on. And then I said, okay, I've got to keep on, I got to keep at this. So I started to swim, which was really good. And swimming built up my endurance. So I was able to swim enough to keep off the pain for 24 hours till I went swimming again. Then I did it again and it kept it off. So I was able to manage the pain because I had so much stuff that was just trying to heal. And and so then, so then I was, so I did that. And so then for 10 years, I kept getting better and better and better in increments, but I still wasn't back to being able to stand for any period of time in front of an easel. And I couldn't, um, I couldn't walk distances. Um, because it was, because it, it, because it was so painful. And so I would, so I would just like, okay, I, I'm always moderating things. But meanwhile, at this point, I met a guy, um, at, I met a guy, this is really interesting. I met a guy through, um, some, through mutual friends, but I, I went, they wanted me to go, a friend of mine wanted me to go Sufi dancing. And I said, you know, like, I can't, I can't dance very well, but I, I so I went, I went and a couple times. And one of the guys there was a, there were a couple guys who were musicians. Um, there are two or three people leading the dances with playing music. And one of the guys was playing guitar. And so I said, well, can I play the drum? I, I could play frame, frame drum. So they said, okay, you can join us. So it would be me and two guys doing the music, right? And um, one of the guys, this is so interesting. <laughs> one of the guys had to leave and go away on a trip. And I was left with this one other guy that I had to play music with, but I didn't want to play it with him because he was so difficult um, to get along with. And he wasn't, he wouldn't communicate. He was very not communicative. And I said, I can't play with him. He won't communicate. I don't know when he's going to change the tempo. I don't know when he's going to change anything. So, so the other guy said, you better be nice and stop doing that. And, you know, show her how to communicate with her so she can play with you. And so I said, all right. So, so he did that. And then he was very standoffish. And then that guy eventually was the guy I married. (laughs) I I thought this was coming. (laughs) He was really stand. He was really standoffish. He was really standoffish, and so I think he was just shy. Well, no, he was not. He was just he was absorbed in what he he was absorbed in what he wanted to do, like the music he wanted to play. He was just yeah. absorbed in it. He was just like. <laughs> <laughs> so that's so 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 anyway, we it, it, it so a year later after I met him, a year later he called me up and asked asked to get together, but it took him like a year. <laughs> There's some shyness there. I'm <laughs> overwhelmed by your beauty. Let's go with that. <laughs> we'll go with that one. Um, so, so, so basically, what happened was, um, so then we started to go out, and then, um, and then, um, what happened was, um, he, and then, and then, and then, eventually, about a year, a couple of years later, we got married. Okay, he was a musician, and he worked with children, oh. and yeah, his name is Marcus Gale, and he works with children, yep. and. Um, he does early childhood music education, and he um, was always looking for something that was going to be like calming and grounding because he had so much. His work was so demanding, so he was always looking around for something meditative. So he found this meditation practice at the Portsmouth Health Food Store on their bulletin board, and yeah. somebody was doing meditation practice. So he said, "I think I want to take this." And I said, "Okay." So I went with him, and it was called Fallen Gong. And yeah, and this it, F-A-L-U-N-G-O-N-G, Falun Gong. And this couple was teaching it out of their apartment for free. Yeah. And so he wanted to go with them to make sure that they weren't Moonies or something, right? And so I said, okay, I went with them. And it was really awesome. So he started to practice this meditation practice. And he looked so good 
he changed so much. I said, I want to try it. Well, they wouldn't let me start for another two months because the next class didn't start for two months. So I had to wait two months. Then I started. And what happened was, this is so interesting. What happened was my symptoms left that had caused me not able to stand in front. They created the pain and the difficulty of standing in front of an easel. They disappeared. Oh, okay. Eight weeks of doing it, I was like, I had my old body back. Wow. I was like, oh my gosh. So, so this practice, it's... It's meditation, okay? It's meditation, but it's based on principles of truthfulness, uh, compassion, and forbearance. Mm. So that's like the underlying principle of like all stuff, you know, all life, all, all religions, all everything, all beliefs. It's like the solid foundation. So I said, okay. So I did it. So I, I started to do it, and it was like I couldn't believe how great I felt. So here's the interesting thing. I had been deprived of the landscape for over 10 years. I couldn't go out and hike. I couldn't do all the things I used to do out, out in nature, right? So I kept saying, so here's the, here's the abstract painter doing nothing except getting memories of these really beautiful landscapes like in Vermont or in New Hampshire where I used to walk, where I used to hike. So I started to paint paintings of them from memory. And I went, I've got to go back there. Yeah, I, 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 like this incredible longing of going back there. So as soon as I started practicing Falun Gong with Marcus. After eight weeks, I said, oh my gosh, Marcus, we have to go hiking. We have to go hiking. So we went to the White Mountains. We went hiking in the White Mountains. Okay. I hadn't been there. I hadn't been hiking in this place for like, I hadn't been up there for like 14 years. Yeah. And I went, I mean, it was shocking. It was so beautiful. It was just wild and beautiful. It was, so sh it was shocking. And I was like, oh my gosh, I, got, I, gotta, I have to do everything I possibly can that I, planned, I wanted to do, right? So I had a trip planned to Scotland to Right before my accident, I was going to go to, I was going to go to, right, right, my accident happened in that following fall, I was going to go to Scotland, biking and hiking across Scotland. Okay. So as soon as I got better and I hiked the White Mountains, I flew off to Scotland. Wow. I said, I'm, you could do it. You were. I had to like do these things because I was afraid, wow. of, I was afraid it was all going to disappear. Oh, right, right. I, said, I better go, I better go, better go. So my sister was living in England at the time. So I, so I went with, I went to Oxford, she was at Oxford and I went and to see her and then um, she went with me up to Scotland and we went up to Scotland. And so I was gone for about 20 some odd days, almost a month. Yeah. And, and so I got that. I, I was like, okay, this is good. And so then I'm having this imprint. So now I have fresh landscapes in my mind. I'm now out in the landscape. Okay. So then this is really great. So then a friend of mine who was a book, who, who was a bookmaker, handmade, handmade artist books. Yeah. Said to me, we have to go outside and paint. And I said, what do you, what do you mean? And she said, yeah, we have to, we have to go outside and paint because I, I saw this book from this woman who's a watercolorist. She's doing these great things and she's going outside. And this friend of mine, like already is an artist and she always, she's a printmaker. And she said, we just have to go outside. So we go outside <laughs> <laughs> I had to paint and it is hysterical. We go, we buy all the gear, you know, we go and paint and it's hysterical. We cannot believe we're looking at each other going, we really know how to draw. We really know how to paint. We really know how to make things look like things. And we're going out and painting. And why does this look like such trash? Mm. We're, we're like laughing our heads off because we're like, did you just paint that? I mean, like, <laughs> we, like, like, like we can't believe, because both of us are like really accomplished already. Yeah. yeah. We can't believe we can't do this. And so we go, okay, we, we, we have to do this. We have, <laughs> we, have, we have to get this sorted out. So, so that's when it started with like, I am going out all the time. So my husband said to me, okay, I said, I'm going out. And he said, okay, it's fine. I said, and I want to go outside every day and paint until I get this thing. And 
I just want to go. So in 2004, in the winter, in November, <laughs> November 2004 is when, okay, so this friend of mine is Sue Strank. And she, Sue, Sue started it by saying we have to go outside. In 2004, in November, we go out every single week, once a week to paint someplace. Wow. All right. It is hysterical. It's hysterical. It's like she's trying to do watercolors. I'm like, oh, this is like, I was doing oils. It was easier to do oils than watercolors because she had a watercolors freezing on her. Yeah. And, sure. and we're, in, we're in the snow up to our hips. I mean, you know, it's like, we thought we had to go, we thought we had to go hiking into these wild places. So I, I've heard this from other quite accomplished studio painters who then go outside. What do you think is happening that makes it so difficult in it's, the beginning? Well, it's, it's drastically, drastically different because, um, okay, so I didn't ever get into a habit of painting from photographs. Okay. I never painted from photographs. I painted either, I painted something I was looking at, right? Yeah that was right in front of me, or I painted from my memory. Okay. I didn't paint from photographs. So I didn't have that problem of breaking out of the photographic reference thing. I hadn't, I had, it hadn't established itself. I wasn't doing it. Okay. So what happens is you go outside and you're in the middle of your subject. So you're not looking at it like in a little tiny reference thing. It's not separate from you. It is not separate from you. You're in the center of it. Mm. So first of all, it's 360 degrees around you. There's, there's temperatures, there's, there's temperature changes, or there's, so it's hot or cold or warm or whatever. There's insects, there's animals, there's people, there's wind, um, there's light. The light is moving all the time. You're not looking at a frozen static thing. Every 15 minutes, it's like moving, moving, moving. So the easiest thing, and I, and I didn't know this, but the easiest thing is for beginners who do go outside is to either look north or south. Oh. Always look north or south because your shadows, the light will appear to move slower and, par and, and it'll, it'll move slower if something's in a distance. The closer something is to you, the faster the light moves. The sure. farther away it is, it'll move, but it won't be as drastic. Right. So it, it's overwhelming. It's overwhelming because you're there trying to deal with all of the variables. Yes. Right? And you don't have all this big space to work in. You got this little tiny easel and you have this little palette and it's a whole different, it's a whole different ball game. It's a different thing totally than painting in the studio and nobody will say it's the same thing. Yeah. It's just not. Right. I mean, I know people that are really great studio painters that give up. They won't paint outside. I have two. Yeah. <laughs> they won't paint outside. They won't paint outside. I can't, they can't deal with it. So what happens is, is if you paint outside, a number of things happens that really improve everything. It'll improve your indoor painting too, but it'll improve everything. If you paint outdoors, it improves your ability to focus. It improves your focusing ability, your mental focusing ability becomes incredible. Yeah. You, you, are, you, you, you decide on what you're going to do, your decisions, okay? You learn how to make decisions. Um, there's a process in making decisions. So if you follow the process, so for example, if you go out and something catches your eye and you go, oh, I really like that, you have to remember that. It caught your eye. There's a reason for it catching your eye. Then you have to understand why it caught your eye. And then you have to understand what about it is important or significant to you. And then the big jump is taking that and putting it in this thing that's only like this big. Right, right. This tiny air. So then you have to go, okay, I can't, you can't write a book. You can't write a book on that panel or that canvas, but you can probably write a, maybe a paragraph, maybe a haiku. 
And you have to really think about that. Yeah, yeah. So if you think about, you know, just take it down, take it down, reduce it, simplify, simplify, simplify. And then, then it's like, you have to just train your brain to do something that's really interesting. So you have to train your brain to look at the 3D world and you're in the middle of all this stuff happening all around you at the same time. And then you have to go and say, all right, I have to take, I have to take charge of this. I have to make this me. Like one of the things I tell my students is don't become a prisoner of the landscape. Oh. A prisoner of the landscape is, is when you're overwhelmed, you don't know what to do and you just paint any old thing. <laughs> right? <Yeah. laughs> okay. Here I have to paint. You know, and, and you don't realize what, what you, or, or nothing's coming, nothing's coming across that's clear to you. Nothing's coming across that you really like. Yeah. Right? And so you can't even choose. Yeah. All right. So as a result, what has to happen is you have to be able to look at the 3D world in your brain, get into, process it into a, into two, 2D flat shapes, mm. flat, simple shapes, organize those flat, simple shapes. So there is a conjunction of maybe three to five shapes. Then you have to bring it back to 3D as you paint it. Yeah. Right. So there's like this whole, whole so like step in and then this out, right. Mm. And then at the same time, there's a million other things you have to keep track of too. So, so the, the thing about that I like so much is it, you will never, ever, ever get bored. Yeah, true. <laughs> you will never get bored. It's always going to be, it's always going to be a challenge. Even when you get, even when you get good at it, you'll, you'll, you'll be able to turn around to find another challenge. Yeah. You just get better at it. You know, you just get better. So I went outdoors every day from 2004 to 2014. Wow. Yep. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. And I didn't, and I didn't even, and I didn't even blog about it or put it on any of the social media because it didn't exist then. Um, I just kept doing it. And every now and then I'd write a blog about it, maybe once a week or once every couple of weeks, I'd write a blog about a particular trip, mm -hmm. you know, or some, yeah, or some place I went and I would go, I would go up and down the coast of Maine and I would go across down south, across Massachusetts to the Berkshires go into the Berkshires, paint my way up the Berkshires, up Vermont, up the Green Mountains, spine of Vermont, up and from to Vermont, cut back across New Hampshire, and then come back down here. So were you monetizing anything at the time, or was this just for fun, or what, what were you doing with your art at that time? No, I wasn't. I was, my husband had decided that he was going to support me to let me do anything I wanted in order to like build up this experience. Yeah. But I, and, and along the way, I also studied with somebody who was like really, really good at this. Okay. It had a big, and, and I knew I was ready. I tried to study with him. There was a waiting list. I couldn't even get in to study with him. Mm -hmm. um, I tried to study with him in 2005. Mm -hmm. I had to wait till 2007 to get in. And who was it? Can we ask? Scott Christensen. Oh, wow. So I had to go out West and <laughs> yeah, I had to go out West and study with him. And I did, I did that for two years. Okay. And that was turning point. That was, that was like the complete and total turning point. Wow. That was, it was like, it was like, like what I did was I researched before I studied, I tried to study with him. I researched and I researched all kinds of plein air painters and all kinds of contemporary landscape painters who painted outdoors. Mm -hmm. And I studied, I checked out who they studied with and the same name that kept coming up was his name kept coming up with all of these people who were pretty successful and pretty good painters. Yeah. And I said, Oh, he keeps showing up. Okay. I'm going to study with him. And so no, really. And then it was, I couldn't get in. There was an application process. I couldn't get in. Yeah. So I finally got in and um, it was the best thing I ever did. Yeah. It was, it was 10, 10 days painting eight hours a day 
four paintings in the morning deliverable by noon, four paintings in the afternoon deliverable by evening. <laughs> oh my. Or you didn't eat. <laughs> you, I lost 10 pounds. <laughs> this way doing it. I lost 10 pounds. And I'm going to give you assignments as to what you had to paint. Oh, wow. And yeah, yeah, like, you know, whatever, you know, trees against the sky. I mean, you give you specific assignments of like conditions you have to look at and you'd have to paint. Oh my. Yeah. And it was so, and people had, you know, mental breakdowns. I mean, he announced at the beginning of the course, no smashing your easel, no breaking your easel. <laughs> I'm serious. Seriously. I was like, you're kidding. You're kidding. And it's like, no, people, he said people would just like smash, people would smash their easel, would break their easel, walk off, walk off, leave it there, leave, it there, leave the easel there, and then like just go get on a plane and leave. <laughs> because you had to, because to get into the class, you had to be at a certain level of painting. Yeah. And then, and then once you got in, it was like you, you could, then, you know, you could do it. But it's like you had to, you had to be at a certain level of painting. And so that's basically what happened. It was like these people like were not used to, um, having to deal with this stuff. Yeah. yeah. And so, so it was perfect. It was like, so 10 days, I was, so I was out there for about 14 days and 10 days of that. And then just like, you know, it was, it was very, very intense. So I was, I so saw one of the students there who was really great and said to me, don't worry about it. Um, if you do really horrible paintings here, do not worry about it. Because he had talked to another person who'd already studied with him. And he said, he told me, he said, he told me that if you just do trash while you're here, don't worry about it. When you get home, it's going to change. So again, I got home just like that, just like really? that. Bam, came out, it was like it came out of my brush. So what was the biggest takeaway? I mean, you'd already been doing this for some time, I think, by then. Yeah, the biggest takeaway was, well, there's a couple of things. A couple, there's a couple of things. Um, I'd say, well, first of all, there was an attitude. There was an approach, which is um, you never arrive. Mm. Always a permanent student. And, and become a permanent student, just become a student forever and you, and you will have just rewards. You'll get there by being a student, right? And just keep, and keep on learning, keep on learning, apply yourself. And that was, that was like the first thing. Great, you're never gonna arrive, then don't sweat it. The, the second thing I took away was the process, not the product. So the process is far more important than the product because if you do the process right, you're gonna end up with a product. Right, right. Okay? So I'm not, and I'm not always going for a painting, you know, I'm not always going for an end thing, right? Okay, so then the other thing I got was, um, okay, this, this man is really, really humble and really, really good. I mean, he's really, I mean, if you watch him paint, when you watch him paint, you're just shocked. Mm -hmm. You're shocked to see how this thing, because you watch his thinking process, you watch how he puts it together, and you're, you just go, what? And he can really see. Yeah. Yeah. You can really see. I mean, his observational skills are like incredible. So mm -hmm. that's another thing I learned. And you're, I learned that the more you use your observational skills, the better you get. So mm -hmm. I can see colors now that I couldn't see before. Mm -hmm. And I can, see, I can see all kinds of things that I couldn't see before as a result of studying with him. But it had to do with the whole approach. And it had to do with, um, it's a big picture thing. And I do a lot of I do a lot of studying of looking at um, paintings of the Russian painters. Okay. And, um, and probably um, a lot of, there's a, a, there's a collection of Western painters that just did a series of paintings. Like, um, and, and he would show us and talk to us about these painters and then just show us these, the, the, their work, the work they did before they did a painting. 
So the series of paintings they did before they did the painting. For example, there just was a show in Cape, at the Cape Ann Museum of Winslow Homer. Mm -hmm. and I, took, I got more out of the show than I've gotten out of almost any other show in a long time because they showed the stages of the work in progress and they showed his development from one type of painting to another type of painting and I saw what happened to him. Mm. I actually completely understood what happened, what he was doing and how he started to take charge. And I would look, I said, oh my gosh, so Scott talked, taught me to take charge. Okay. I'm in charge. That's not in charge. That landscape out there is not in charge. I'm in charge. Mm -hmm. and, and, and he taught me all the ways to be that way, to be in charge. Wow. So yeah, it's fantastic. So I walked out and the next time I walked out when I got home was I was in charge. Right. Everybody was telling me, everybody who told me that this was going to happen was telling me the truth. That's exactly what happened. Mm. I, was no longer, I was no longer, I had no questions. No, I wasn't befuddled. I wasn't, oh, it should be this or that. I had none of that stuff. I was, it was clear. It was like, okay, um, that looks good. I think I really like that. It was like, boom, boom, boom. My mind was yeah. weird. So did it, did it expedite your process or? I became a very, I, I, I forced myself to paint after I studied with him the first year, the first time I forced myself to paint a painting in 20 minutes. Wow. Because that's what he had us do. He wanted us to do it in 20 minutes. And he said, you're going to be able to get it in 20 minutes. You'll, you can get it. So if you have your skill set of color mixing together, if you know how to mix colors, you know, if you know what your what values are and how to, if you can see values and use them right, you can get your colors right. In 20 minutes, you've got something. So I did it in 20 minutes for a long, long time. And it, and it worked. Mm. They work completely. So I did 20 minute painting, and then I still do them from time to time. I mean, but I really, 20 minutes is like enough to get a whole painting done. Mm. Amazing. Yeah, so I just, I just wouldn't do them too big or I'd have to have really big brushes, but I wouldn't go, I wouldn't go over eight by 10, but I usually would try to do six by eights. Yeah. Okay, so that, that was a big takeaway. Okay. And then I, then I streamlined my palette and <clears throat> I really got my palette totally streamlined. So he painted in a limited palette with a couple of extra things that he then showed us how he painted with a method that's called um, the soup method. Oh. Yeah, this is um, Edgar Payne. Okay. Okay, he talks about in his book, it's a way to harmonize everything easily and fast. Soup, yeah. okay. Yeah, so that, that's a method he, that I saw Scott use. I don't use that, I use a limited palette and I have a split, I have a split um, from limited palette of warms and cools. And I usually stick with one as opposed to going across all of them. But I know, I, I know how far I cannot move before it will, because it could cause, it could, it could be unharmonious if I start to start add too much in. Okay. But I'm, so I'm, I'm very clear on dominant color families. I work in color families. I'm very, very clear on dominance. And if it's, if the painting is, is, you know, this dominant color, I stick to that family. And if accents are, you know, I, I'm very careful with this. Yeah. Yeah. So, I'm clear yeah. on that. so at what point did you start um, putting your work into galleries? Because I see on your website you're in some. Yeah, I used to be in a lot of galleries and I pulled out of a lot of galleries. I was in about, I was in about 13 galleries yeah. and I've, I'm, I'm rethinking everything. Yeah. And I, pull, I pulled out of galleries because I found that um, it works best if I'm in a gallery. Okay, the, there are galleries that were all-star galleries and the, the all-star galleries were the ones that could really like just Get my get my work. They they got what I was doing, okay. Yeah. They got what I was doing, and they really loved it. And if they got what I was doing, and they really loved it, and they saw how my work was distinctive, those people 
could sell it like mad. Mm -hmm. But the people who just like put it in there to have like another, another variety of something, yeah. um, I, they could sell, but you know, that, it, you know, whatever. But it, it really, I found it really had to do with, I have to, I pick and choose who I work with. And let me tell you, it makes a big difference. Yeah. So I found that by picking and choosing who I worked with, that made the big difference in how much I sold and, and where it sold. And so I'm in, the, I'm in the process of, I'm in a couple, I'm in a couple of galleries and those are what I narrowed down to. Yeah. So I, so I, so I don't have a lot of work available to sell because um, things are going um, well. That's good. All. Good. Yeah. So, so, that, so that's good, but I, but I am definitely targeting things differently and I have a whole different set of things that I'm targeting because um, it's going well. Yeah, good. And so you teach as well. When did you get into that and um, what kind of classes do you teach? Okay, so t I teach. All right, I teach. Um, I've been teaching for a long time, but I stopped for a while. I, I used to teach at Sanctuary Arts years ago and mm -hmm. Then I stopped teaching at Sanctuary Arts and I stopped teaching completely. And then I had people asking me if I taught. And then I thought, maybe I should start teaching it. So I started to teach. This is really interesting. I started to teach a few years ago, maybe three or four years ago. I started to teach and I started to teach with a very specific objective. Um, I started very small and I took people at a certain level and I tried a new model of teaching with them, which is called chunking. Mm -hmm. Okay because I wanted to see them improve and I wanted to see them really get it. So I used a number of methods I learned from Scott that, I, that, worked, that worked for me really, really well. Yeah. And, then, and then some other things I picked up some other, from a few other places that I checked out or studied. And I put them all together with a limited palette to see if people could actually like get it to stick, mm -hmm. right? And it works. Wow, nice. It works, it works, it works nicely. So I have so i took that model and i started to expand it a little bit and i started to teach it more so i'm teaching i'm teaching three right now i'm teaching three classes a week online wow. now this is is this the online part is that just since we've all been isolated i've been forced to teach online correct so so i'm i get are you did did you teach in a studio before that or how did I taught, you i taught in classrooms and studios yes okay, okay. okay. and so it's available now online it's available now online and i'm going to continue it Nice. Because I like, because what's happening is, is I'm, I just, I just started it. And as soon as I started it, people from all over the country are studying with me. Nice. I have West Coast. I have, I have people on, I have someone in Nantucket. Some, I have people, I have, I, have, I don't know why people in Washington State know about me, but people in Washington State. <laughs> so, I so, love it. Yeah, so, so people are studying with me from all over the place because mm -hmm. they no longer have the problem of coming to study with me in person. Now, I, I have gotten requests for years from people wanting to study, who live far away, wanting me to teach workshops yeah. so they could travel here and take a workshop, right? But I hadn't taught workshops because it's such a challenge to get housing for people here in the summer season Yeah. that I just went, where are they going to stay? So yeah. I never got into it because of that whole, like, where, they, where are these poor people going to stay? I did one workshop maybe five or six years ago and people came from the west out west and took it and that was really nice but i but they took i said try this try this try this i didn't give them housing i just said try this for housing yeah. and they prepared themselves but i just couldn't you know I, I couldn't see like doing this thing it's gonna be like running a school yeah 
Yeah, I mean, like another whole thing. So I sort of haven't gone into that, though I probably will do two workshops a year. I probably will do that at a future date in the August, September timeframe, because mm -hmm. then it thins out a little bit and there'll be room for people to come and stay. Right. Yeah. But the online classes, I'm teaching an online class in design. Okay. I'm teaching an online class in color, and I'm teaching an online class in landscape. And how long do they last? And okay, they're, they're, each class is a three hour class live on Zoom. And they run for a month. They're once a month. I have them on my website listed in my classes. So once a week for three hours. Once a week, once a week for three hours each month. And then, then oh. a new session starts. Okay, great. And the design class is for people who already know how to mix color, understand value, everything that's more advanced. More, it's intermediate painters. And then the color class is for, will be for beginners. I'll, I'll start a new session. The session right now is people are pretty much experienced right now. People can drop in if they have some experience because now we're doing interesting color things. Um, and the landscape class is for every level. So if the class has already begun, someone could, could join if they, they can join, they can actually join in May, the next session in May. Oh, oh, I see. Okay. They can't get into April's class now because April's class is already moving. Okay. But they can get definitely join a class in May, May or June, or I mean, I'll be running them online. Okay. And so they're live and do you do them on zoom and how does I do them on zoom and I have, I do, and I do a shared screen of showing them stuff. You know, like we, we review things, we look at paintings, we talk about why they work, we talk about why they don't work, we talk about, um, you know, it's, it's very specific stuff. I do not, I don't sit there and do a demo during their class time. If I show any demos, I show a video of me doing a start on a painting or of me doing start sped up so they can see how it's done, but I'm not going to take up their class time with them watching me paint. Okay. Because they're not going to be able to, they won't paint. Yeah. <laughs> They want, they're going to get more experience done painting. They'll, they'll get experience in painting, okay. the act itself. Right. Um, by watching me, they're not going to get any better. And then is there some sort of critique amongst the group, or how does that work? There's a review. There's a review of, uh, before they leave, before, the, before class ends, everybody gets to look at everybody's paintings, and we talk about where, where it's going wrong, and then quickly change that, and then they finish them at home. Okay. And then, and then they have homework as well. Okay. They have to work on another painting or they have extra color exercises, whatever. They have homework as well. And then when class starts the following week, at the beginning of class, we review, everybody sees everybody's homework. Everybody sees what worked, what didn't work. And then we get into class. Nice, nice. And this is all on your website, right? This is on my website, on my, on my, on my classes page on my website. Yeah. And, and what's your website now? Mary Byram. MaryByram.com. .com. Okay, great. So let's um, finish up a little bit. What does success mean for you as a painter, as an artist? Success as an artist? Oh, you know, I think, I, I don't think I use that word. Mm -hmm. I don't think that word applies to anything because I don't, I, like, what is success? Well, I consider my life successful if I lived it fully and then I die. I mean, what's, what is success, right? I can't, I can't even imagine what success, I mean, I, I can't even, I can't relate to the word. Okay. Um, I think that, I think that, um, I think that I, I think that basically, if I think about, am I happy with my paintings, or am I happy with what's going on? Um, am I happy with how things are developing? Am I happy with my growth? Um, I guess it has to do more with, am I am I growing and changing? Do I see do I see that I'm doing something that's different from a month ago? Mm. Have I learned something? Am I incorporating that into what I'm doing? Right. You know, so I think that objective wise, um, 
it's, it's not about me. I think it's about getting a certain level of visual, I guess, I think, I guess it's about beauty. I, I think probably the bottom line is it's about beauty. Mm. Because I think that the quality of beauty can affect people. And I think that culture is far more important than all of the socioeconomic stuff that we have that sort of drifts around us in society. Mm. I was talking to my students the other day and I said, can anybody tell me who um, the king was when Beethoven um, wrote Beethoven's Fifth? Nobody could tell me who the king was, right? Mm. Who's the king? Who was the mayor, I said, when he wrote that? Okay? I said, right, who, right. I said who, who was the mayor of Rome when Michelangelo did the Sistine Chapel? Can anybody tell me who the mayor of Rome was? Yeah. Right? I mean, nobody could. You know, who, ruled, who ruled Italy then? Who was the ruler of Italy? Nobody could tell me. Mm. But we could talk about the Sistine Chapel, and we could talk about Michelangelo, and we could talk about the fact that that endured this whole time. Right. Right. And we could talk about we could talk about Beethoven's Fifth. Now we know, but then Beethoven's music exists now, right? Yeah. It's the culture. It's the culture that's important. Mm. So I think that keeping that sustained and alive is significant. Yeah. yeah. So I think that probably being a part of that is significant. For sure. So I think everybody who's doing that is important. Right. I'm lucky to have you on the seacoast. That's for sure. <laughs> I, I have to ask before we close. I have to ask. Um, well, two things. We're going to talk about maybe your funniest, most outrageous, uh, or scary plein air story. But before that, who's behind the camera videoing you on your little snippet oh. that I see? Oh, isn't that uh, isn't, isn't he hysterical? Is that okay. your husband? That's my, my husband. That's Marcus. I mean, that is that's my <laughs> he. Well, he's okay. My husband actually went to Mass College of Art. Okay. Oh. Funniest story ever. He goes to Mass College of Art. He gets in. <laughs> is an art major. He leaves and he quits to become a musician. And does <laughs> he marries an artist. I love it. And so I, I went, what? You went to Mass College of Art? And so, so he has this really good eye. So he's very, very good with the camera. Yeah. I mean, he makes it so funny. You can always hear someone, hear someone, hear somebody yell, hey, Mary Byram. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. and, and he's, let me tell you, when he's taking those videos, Laura, when he's taking those videos, I never know when he's going to shoot one. Oh. oh no, I'm I know I'm doing my I'm living my own life here and he wants yeah. to see the video. <laughs> I'm outside, he just shows up and all of a sudden I'm busy and he shows up and starts well, shooting. Well they're great. I do you do such an amazing job with your social media. Um and, and of course that's a key part of it is those little videos. I just love them. And they're but. so funny. People people go, Mary, and I and I'm always wearing like really goofy clothing and it's like and it's like and he goes, Why are you wearing those clothes? And I said, Because I'm just putting on whatever's there. I am not getting dressed for something. <laughs> this is not a special occasion. You know, so <laughs> you know when he's going to show up. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> so tell us your uh, strangest or funniest or most outlandish. outlandish uh, okay, do you, okay. Okay. Do you want to hear about the guy who took all his clothes off? Oh my God. <laughs> no, seriously. This is very funny. Did you get to sketch him? <laughs> the guy who took all his clothes off or, okay, or, or, <laughs> Or the guy who, okay, or the guys that showed up to offer me a ride out because they were Andrew Wyeth's caretakers. Oh, well, I you think you might have to hear both. <laughs> okay, so here, okay, so here's, here's, okay, here's what happens. So I have this, there's this thing that's happened since I started painting outdoors. This thing has happened over and over again. Men take off their clothes? <laughs> yes. Guys walk up to me and say to me, guys walk up to me and say to me, if you'd like me to pose for you, I'll take off my clothes. 
Okay, no, I'm serious. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> they, 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 I'll, I'll post for you, like, like I'll post for you nude. Like I'm serious, you know, these guys <laughs> And you should see what these guys look like. I mean, they're hysterical. Like oh. every variety you can think of, you know. So over the years, over the years, I go, what's this thing with these guys? So they always think an artist means, hey, they must be painting new people. You know? <laughs> I mean, that's what their view of it is, right? Oh we're, my. We're talking, serious, we're talking serious rednecks. Yeah. We're talking like, we're not talking, we're not talking like your, your, college, your college professor types. We're talking. <laughs> okay. And they're like offering to take their clothes off. And, and we, and I'd be with other, I'd be like with other, other friends, Katie, we'd look at each other and go, and we'd walk, we'd walk away. And of course we'd go, um, no thanks. It's okay. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. We'd just crack up. We'd just like, crack it up. so I had this guy, so I had this guy, I'm up in Vermont, <clears throat> painting with a good friend of mine, um, Andrew Orr. Do you know Andrew Orr? I've heard that name. Okay. <clears throat> Andrew's a fantastic painter. You should actually interview him. Okay. <clears throat> He's up in, way up in Vermont. And okay, so I'm with Andrew, and Andrew invited me up to his house to paint. So I'm up, I'm up there painting with him. And we're in this, we're in one of his favorite spots at this river. So I'm with Andrew, Marcus, Andrew, Marcus, and me. Now, Marcus takes off with his camera to do who knows what, shooting pictures of who knows what. And right. Andrew sort of goes around the bend. Like, he's got, he's got waders on, and he, hits, he heads into the river, and he goes walking in the river with his easel and everything, and he goes around the bend out of sight. <laughs> the next thing I know, this guy walks up. And he says, he says, he's very nice. He says, hi. And he goes, hi. And he goes, and he's sort of standing around. And I'm painting a covered bridge. There's a covered bridge. And, <laughs> and he says, he said, I hope you don't mind if I take my clothes off. <laughs> well, he was going to go swimming, I assume, right? <laughs> or so right I'm there? Thinking, of course, I'm thinking, of course, I'm thinking, um, oh, my God, how many times have I had guys walk up to me when I'm painting and say they want to take their clothes off and pose for them? <laughs> so this guy takes all of his clothes off. There I am painting, and this guy is next to me in the water, naked. Yeah. And Andrew and Marcus are who knows where. Yeah. Oh, geez, this is like totally bizarre. <laughs> where would you put the camera then? <laughs> exactly, exactly. And I'm thinking, well, I'm not going to turn around and look at him because he's trying to swim. He's just trying to relax. It's a very hot day. He's yeah. a warm day, and he's trying to relax. And at the same time, I'm thinking, oh, yeah, but remember, so remember the Soroya painting with the boys uh, next to the boat mm -hmm. underwater? That'd be pretty neat. You know, and then I'm like, I'm like, no, just finish your painting, Mary, and stop. Don't look at him. <laughs> it was like the one weird time with the guy, the guy who actually took his clothes off. And, Unbelievable. Okay. I know. And then you got escorted off of the wife properties. Yeah, no. Then the, So then I go out to paint in Freedom. I mean, I'm painting it. I'm sorry, Friendship. I'm painting in Friendship, Maine, yeah. down the dock in the winter, in the winter. And it's empty. There's nobody around. It's empty. And it's like, it's, it's really nice. And my sister was with me. My sister was with me on this trip. She was visiting and she was on this trip. And I'm down there painting and these two guys come up in a truck. And he, the guy leans out the window and he says, do you want a ride? And I'm thinking, do I want a ride? I'm, I'm, I'm all set up with an easel. I'm painting way. Do I look like I'm hitchhiking? Yeah, right. No, I do you want a ride? And then I said, no, no, no thanks. I said, I'm fine. And, and he said, well, um, he says to me, well, this is where everybody comes when they want to ride. Uh -huh. I, said, I said, what's going on? I said, well, what's going on? I said, is this like a taxi or something? And he goes, no. He said, we take you out in the boat to the islands, whichever island you're going to. Oh. And I said, oh. And he said, yeah. He said, we, um, they're, they're lobster guys. And they, what they, they, people come to, when people come to the dock there, they pick them up and take them out 
to the dock, take him out to the islands. And he said, um, we're, I'm, a, I'm Andrew Wyatt's caretaker. I, I take care of that island there. That's the island he owns. Yeah. Okay. okay. And I said, okay. And then he starts telling me about all the parties that Andrew Wyatt had. And he would, he, these two guys went to the parties. And, and one of the guys, this is really interesting, one of the, one of the lobster fishermen is a past Olympic champion. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Like a, like a bronze medal winner. Wow. And I was like, I mean, the stories these guys told me were unbelievable. Wow. Yeah, so, that, that, so I took their picture with their dog and everything. And then I, yeah. I, wrote, I wrote a blog about them, and then they went on their happy way. So you do have a blog. I want to mention that, too. So a blog. That's, that's, a blog. that's a hilarious story. You've, yeah, I'm sure you've got so many, but I bet you do have quite a bit on your blogs, which is interesting. I, have, I put stuff on my blogs, and my blogs go way, way back. Yeah. A lot of stories. Um, but, you know, I mean... Yeah, I, I mean, I've had some wild, yeah. Wild had, times. Yeah. You always do, you always do. You know, you meet all kinds of people. So um, so people can follow you on Instagram? In, uh, yeah, Instagram, Facebook, twi and Twitter. Okay. And Instagram is probably the best place because you see the pictures. I like, the thing about Instagram I like so much is it's so visual. Yeah, yes, you know? very much. But Facebook, but Facebook gets my, uh, my newsletter goes on Facebook and my blog go on Facebook. Okay, great. Post Instagram. Okay, and what's your, in closing, what's your best advice for all of us under lockdown? Paint. Yes. Paint. Um, my best advice is paint. And I think that, I think the painting process is really, really helpful. I think people should paint. I think number one, paint. Number two, do not watch the news. Yeah, I agree. It's really ration yourself. I oh, mean, very much, yeah. Ration yourself. I mean, I don't look at the news except every third day. Mm -hmm. because they're going to let me know there'll be parties going on if, they, if it's half if it's if it's over with there'll be confetti in the streets you know i don't have i'll know it um so and get out and paint and i'd say get outside and paint mm, yeah you, i mean if you if you can get out in a place that's that's isolated do it i only i only got kicked out of one place uh oh i just got kicked out i, I just got kicked out of wells maine oh by for painting on the side of the road wow yeah, that was pretty. That was pretty significant. What was it? A busy road, or were they just? No, he just said <clears throat> he he just didn't know what to do with me because I think that um, he just didn't know what to do with me. And everybody's walking by, jogging and dog walking, and cars were parked. Well, I have um, to say, Mary, two accidents. I would stay off the side of the road too. <laughs> Why were you? My goodness. <laughs> Oh, well, this has been delightful. Thank you so much. I really appreciate well, thank it. You, Laura. And everybody thank you, thank you. has to get on your website and check out all the things you do there. It's great. Okay, great. Thanks a lot. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. If you found inspiration from today's show, make sure you are subscribed to the podcast and share it with a friend or two on social media. Also, take a moment to write a quick review on iTunes or share your takeaways from today's show on artistsofnewengland.com under today's episode. And while you're there, you'll find links to the topics mentioned in today's show. And don't forget to peruse the growing library of podcasts and resources. Thanks for listening. You got beauty to share with the world that no other human has. So get in the ring and pick up that brush.